This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. The Weekly Wrap is the week in news and what's coming up. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. A big and heavy topic this week has been the rise in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. We're going to help you navigate that discussion. We're also going to take a look at the High Court decision that has had Parliament in a spin this week. And we'll head to the UK and pick up on the surprising return of a former Prime Minister. Yeah, coming up tomorrow and next week, it's the Cricket World Cup final and some birthdays, Claire. In Recommends, we're heavy on documentaries and a hint of a escapism. Let's do it. Sounds like quite a tease, doesn't it? (laughs) The most clicked link this week in the Squiz Today newsletter was, I couldn't be more here for it, I definitely clicked on it, Jim's Beauty. I love it. So Jim's Mowing is a a franchise. He has a whole heap of other franchises. Um, In fact, he has 52 franchises, Claire. Did you know that? There's a lot of things that Jim's people do. They clean. They they do tree and stump removal. I know. I was surprised about that one. I don't have much call for that, but it's something that they do. I'm sure that's important to people. Cleaning is a big one. Dog grooming, I think, is one. So, I mean, going to Jim's Beauty is not... Not that, that much of a stretch. No, when you look at the business model, mm. so they've put a call out for franchisees. They're looking for beauty professionals to come on board. They might be mobile. They might have a shop. Yep. Uh, the idea is they come onto the platform and then gyms hook you up with customers. I think it sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm all here for it. But you want to tell a joke. <laughs> so <laughs> I know the joke, which is why I'm laughing. So, look, the idea, Jim's Beauty will cover things like facial skin treatments, lash extensions. Uh, when it comes to waxing, Kate, I reckon they could stick with the business name of Jim's Mowing. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we need a sound effect, like a don Okay, all right, fine. Oh, there we go. That's about the most laughs we'll have for a little while because, um, of course, we're going to talk about the Israel-Gaza conflict. Claire, at the top today because it's emphatically the biggest news story most weeks since that 7th of October events. It's... It's such a huge one that we kind of have to pick bits of it to tackle each week. Last week we touched on this conversation about sides, who's in the right and wrong and how that's prosecuted. Yeah, and what you're referring to is this frequent and increasing accusations by our leaders, uh, also in the media the general public of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Yeah, so what we'll do is get you across the definitions around those accusations so that when you come at a story that has a bit of a he said, she said vibe, you'll be able to navigate it. Before we do that, though, there's an actual location that's a flashpoint for this conversation and that is the Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. It's the Territory's main hospital as well and it's on a large campus, when you look at the maps of it, you can see how much area it takes up. So people in Gaza have gone there to seek shelter. It's in the northern part, which is the part that Israel has been consistently saying move out of Mm. because they're targeting that area because they believe that's where Hamas has been headquartered. Um, They thought many of those civilians at this hospital campus, though, would be safe. Um, Earlier in the week, though, Israeli troops surrounded the hospital and then raided it. Yeah, for its part, Israel says Hamas has been used 
using the Al-Shifa hospital as a command centre on Thursday. They said they uncovered a Hamas tunnel shaft in a vehicle with weapons there. The accusation is from Israel that Hamas is hiding behind their most vulnerable people, Claire. Yeah, and Israel has said that it's seeking to destroy Hamas. Mm. It's that black and white for them. Uh, But this is part of a bigger issue, civilians caught in the middle of it. Um, You can understand why people have very strong views and and are very emotional about this because it's about what's unfolded. Mm. On the one hand, you have Hamas, which is a terrorist organisation that murdered 1,200 Israelis on the 7th of October. You have then Israel retaliating declaring a war on Hamas and in doing so killing Palestinian civilians. The latest estimate of that, which comes from Hamas figures, Mm. is 11,500. Yeah, layered on top of this is religion. So just to restate the obvious, Palestinians are mostly Muslim and Israelis are mostly Jewish. Claire, this is where it gets confusing when you look at how this discussion is shaking out. There are people accusing those who are attending rallies in support of Palestine as being anti-Semitic. What that accusation means is that they're discriminating against Jewish people in a hateful way. So when you see that written and when you read about this, that is what the accusation is. We're not saying that's the case, but that's what the accusation has been. Then there are those who are being accused of anti-Zionism, which is a different thing. Yeah, so Zionism refers to the movement that backs the Jewish state in the Middle East. It's more of a nationalistic kind of thing. Mm. So anti-Zionism is about being anti-Israel, the state. Uh, Some say that that's just a proxy for anti-Semitism, but many say to be anti-Zionist is being critical of the way Israel is going about this and their treatment of Palestinians. Yeah, and again, we're not here to tell you who's right and wrong, but hopefully that helps you navigate what you might be reading or watching and gives you some context to understand different perspectives. Claire, then we get into Islamophobia. Yeah, that's discrimination against those of the Islamic faith. And in this context, there are Islamic organisations in Australia who have talked quite a bit this week about an increase in that kind of rhetoric against Muslim people um, since particularly the Israeli war started on Hamas. And then there's this quote that you'll see coming up quite a bit from the river to the sea. It's a bit of a chant. It's a bit of a chant. Take a breath here. So very contested would be a fair way to explain this phrase, but to understand it, the river is the Jordan River on the eastern flank of Israel and the occupied West Bank. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea to its west. In the middle of that is Israel. What the phrase means depends on who's telling the story and who's hearing it, which audience is hearing it. The best place to start is, I guess, with Palestinian activists. They say that it's a call for peace and equality after 75 years of Israeli statehood, also decades-long Israeli military rule over millions of Palestinians in the West Bank as well as in Gaza. Uh, But what Jews hear is a demand for Israel's destruction. So it's a very, very loaded expression. We should also say here that neither of us are Jewish nor Muslim, Claire. We understand for many listening this is deeply personal and many would have a deeper understanding of the language of this and what each turn of phrase, I guess, represents for them. Yeah, exactly right. But for our part, just understanding a bit of this context is really important. Hopefully you're a bit better equipped now to engage with the topic. Yeah, information is power, so they say. On that, a couple of recommendations 
congratulations from us. First of all, you sent me this article. It was in The Australian this week. Kylie Moore Gilbert is the academic who was put into an Iranian prison on charges of espionage. She's also Jewish. She wrote a piece about her experience essentially as a hostage of an Islamist regime. It's well worth a read, that one. Uh, Also, 7.30 on ABC TV had a segment this week about some of the things that we've talked about and how these tensions are playing out in Australia. They had representatives from both sides of that. Um, They ultimately both said the same thing. They want Australia to be a place where Jews and Muslims, Israelis and Palestinians can live together in peace, but it's particularly hard at the moment. That piece was quite heartwarming. At the end of the day, um, there's the extreme on both ends, but the middle just wants everyone to be peaceful and live happily together. That was sort of the message. Links to both of those are in your episode notes. Claire, three other big news stories I am firstly excited about talking about UK politics because I often say to you, we talk so much about the US and we never talk about the UK. Yeah, we talk about Europe a fair bit. Yeah, I just feel like the UK, like... Talking about the Middle East It's taken the return of a former Prime Minister for us to talk (laughs) about the UK. So we'll cover that. Starting with oldie politics though. Yeah, I'm going to kill your buzz on UK politics by starting with Australian politics. Okay, we'll do that first, then we'll get to it. (laughs) Got it. We're talking about what's happened with this group of people who have been released from immigration detention. Big story this week. Um, This was one of those stories that I saw on Wednesday last week when the High Court made its decision and I kind of flagged it in my brain and thought, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on that one. Yeah, you're good at picking up those stories that you go, I think this is going to be a big deal, watch it. And this certainly was (laughs) one of them. So immigration detention is always a red button issue. It has been for about three decades. This one's about a specific legal case and you need to be across the details of that to understand the whole thing. So here I go. What was decided in the High Court last week was that a stateless Rohingya man known by the court as NZYQ could not be left in immigration detention indefinitely just because it's not possible to deport him. Kate, this is one of these things where, again, love the weekly wrap because you get a chance to actually take a step back and say, what has brought all of this This on? on, Yeah, And took a bit of digging actually to get to the heart of what this case was because it gets lost in the day-to-day political reporting. So quite a bit more to it though than just not being possible to deport him. This guy, NZYQ, came to Australia in a people smuggling boat in 2012. He was issued a visa. He was in the community until January 2015 when he was charged with raping a child, a 10-year-old child. Mm. His visa was cancelled. He served time in prison for that crime. The government then moved to deport him on release. But as a Rohingya man, There's nowhere to deport him to. This Mm. is the point for him. The Rohingya are the group of Muslims who have been persecuted by Myanmar, pushed over the border to be refugees in Bangladesh. So he's essentially a refugee, so it's very tricky. Very tricky for him, but there are similar stories for the other 83 people who have been released over the last week. And by definition, this group are people who are undesirable. Mm. That's what our Solicitor General Steve Donoghue said about that. The coalition say that they're criminals, they're hardened criminals. Some of them have been convicted of the worst crimes imaginable. Yeah, so we're talking about rape and murder um, because of this High Court ruling, which basically says the indefinite detention of migrants is unlawful and unconstitutional. They've been released into the community. So a cascading effect from this one decision. Not all of this group is stateless, not all are murderers and rapists. We don't have a lot of details on exactly who is who though. No, we don't. And many argue that if they've served their time, 
we shouldn't lock them up indefinitely. Mm. That's what plenty of human rights advocates say anyway, and they've said that in the last week or so about this case specifically. But the upshot is that the government has been scrambling on how to handle all of this. They've rushed through new laws to monitor and restrict the movements of those 84 who have been released. So that's been seen as a win for Peter Dutton and the coalition because they pushed the government on those measures. It's not over. The Solicitor General, who is the Solicitor General? Stephen Donoghue. Yeah, but like, what do they do? He's a, The government <laughs> needs lawyers. No, it's the lawyer. It's the lawyer it's for the, the government. It's the lawyer's office. Yeah. So, Stephen Donoghue. You're like, of course you should yeah, know who he is. Steve. <laughs> Steve, Steve okay. Yeah. What he says <laughs> is that 340 people could be released in total. So that's going to be an ongoing issue. And if you're wondering how the release works in like the mechanics of it, mm. reports say some are now living with relatives in the community. Others have been placed in hotels in Sydney's west and also on the outskirts of Perth. Can we move on to British politics now? Okay, so let's do it. Kate, you were my media monitor on Monday night. You shot off this alert that David Cameron <laughs> was about to be appointed the UK's Foreign Secretary. I'll disclose later in the podcast what I was watching and then the breaking <laughs> news alert came up that said David Cameron had jumped out of a car, number 10 Downing Street. He was walking into number 10. There was a gasp, an audible gasp. Um, I could hear it from here. And it deserves that reaction, Claire, because it's so out of the bounds of what's normal. Yeah, how I put it in the Squiz Today podcast, it's a bit like Prime Minister Anthony Albanese shuffling Penny Wong off to a new portfolio yeah. and appointing Kevin Rudd as the foreign minister. It's that kind of weird. Yeah. And Kevin Rudd's not a bad comparison because people have strong views about him, mm. including in the Labor Party. And that's absolutely the case with David Cameron and the Conservatives. A lot of that comes from the days of the Brexit referendum. Cameron campaigned for the UK to remain in the EU. The vote was to leave. So he quit as Prime Minister from politics altogether. That was back in 2016, if you can mm. believe it. So how this came about, Rishi Sunak is the Prime Minister. He's leading a team that's lagging really far behind Labor in the polls. And the other thing to point out is that they're heading to the pointy end of the electoral cycle there. Sunak can call an election any time between now and the 17th of December next year. So the clock's ticking. This reshuffle, he's sacked Suella Braverman as Home Affairs Minister. She made a series of controversial comments at odds with Sunak's views and the Prime Minister's spokesperson stressed the importance of having a united team. So that was a controversy a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they've ditched her. Ditched her. She's out of home affairs. Sunak pushed James Cleverly out of foreign affairs to cover the job of home affairs and he's brought David Cameron in. We kind of know our way around a reshuffle from our time in politics. This one required a bit of research though. Like how is it possible to bring someone back well, he's not elected. Yeah, I had to Google how do you appoint a guy who isn't in parliament. <laughs> I wonder if Rishi Sunak had to do that. <laughs> the foreign secretary. I reckon Google Trends would probably show a few people did that. I Googled it too. Yeah, I definitely Googled that. Yeah, and how they've done it is to make him a life peer. So he's now Lord Cameron. Okay. He's in the House of Lords. It's the unelected upper house of the UK parliament. So to your analogy about Kevin Rudd and Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese and could it happen here? It could happen here. Oh. We don't have an unelected chamber. So, yeah, the Senate is an the elected Senate's, chamber. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, we don't have life peers either. But you could appoint a minister who isn't in parliament. The only oh. thing in our system is that they have to become a member of the House of Representatives or the Senate within three months of their appointment. So they have to get elected. Have to get within elected. that time. Or in the case of the Senate, they could be appointed. 
because remember they have these casual vacancies. Oh yeah, okay, true. Well, I mean, this is getting complicated, but Won't long story that. short, it could happen. It could yeah. happen, and it did happen in the UK. The job of foreign secretary is a big one. Obviously, wars in Russia, the Middle East, the UK are really important to both of those. Claire, let's head to APEC now. That summit with twenty-one Asia Pacific regional leaders in San Francisco. The UK is not a member, so we're leaving UK politics behind <laughs> for now. Um, but plenty others are. Yep, plenty others are. Plenty happening there too as we speak. Um, As we've talked about before, what happens on the sidelines of those summits though can really lead to some of the most interesting developments. And on that front, of course, a lot of attention has been on China's Xi Jinping. Yeah, it's his first visit to the US for ages. I heard you and Alice say six years or so. Six years, yeah. He's making a big effort with business leaders. It's a recognition that China's economy is struggling. It needs investment. Some of the biggest businesses and investors in the world are in the US. And there was a dinner that the Chinese put on that, of course, had Xi at the centre of it. Um, That saw Tim Cook from Apple, also Sundar Pichai, of course, from Google, Elon Musk from Tesla at that dinner. Um, Was this the one that was $2,000 a head or? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and more. See, I've been listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And more if you wanted to sit on the table with Xi. So, Yeah. yeah. APEC, though, of course, just to point out, is the place where they wear the funny shirts. So do we have we seen those shirts yet? Do no, because the leaders like? thing is coming up. Oh, okay. So we haven't seen. So Anthony Albanese will be there. He'll be at the leaders' summit. He'll be wearing a funny shirt or he might be wearing Fingers like, crossed. what do we think, like a cowboy outfit? Or- I'm hope I want I want a cowboy collar. I want the press studs <laughs> down the middle in denim. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> if that actually happens, wow. ka <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nostradamus. <laughs> Coming up, Claire, sport first. Our men's team is into the Cricket World Cup finals Sunday night against India. It's going to be epic. Are you going to stay up and watch that? I'll try to. Yeah. Definitely. 7.30 I think it starts, doesn't it, in Eastern Daylight Savings Time? Yeah, they had a bit of rain. I hope there's no rain. Cricket and rain. When I got up on Friday morning to do the news run quite early, of course the game started at 7.30 on Thursday night and thought I'll dive in and see exactly how that went. It had only just wrapped up. Yeah, rain. Yeah. Yeah. Long, long evening. Long evening. You were strapping in for that. Yeah. Very exciting about that. Big crowd in India to get over. Yeah. Amazing. 130,000, you guys, again, told me on the Squiz Today podcast. <laughs> um, the AFLW semifinals, Adelaide versus Sydney on Saturday, Melbourne versus Geelong on Sunday. Still on the weekend, Claire, today is a by-election in Daniel Andrews' seat of Mulgrave. Of course, he stood down as Premier not that long ago. A sport of some description, I guess. Um, By-elections are always interesting and particularly that seat has been held by Labor for 20 years. No, by Daniel Andrews. By Daniel Andrews, yeah. So it's a long time, really long time for one local member. Yeah. Um, There's a Liberal running. There's a fairly prominent independent as well. His name is Ian Cook, so one to watch out for. So the commentary around this has been, is the seat so successful because of Daniel Andrews or is it Labor? And we will find out after the weekend. Um, Ian Cook was the owner of iCook Foods, which was shut down by the Victorian government. He's been involved in a dispute with them ever since. So those in Victoria who pay close attention to politics will know that name. Monday is the start of National Skin Cancer Awareness Week. Reminder to get your skin checked. Get if a you skin haven't. check. Yeah, I've got to book that in. Got to do it. Thank you. It's Joe Biden's birthday. He turns 81 years old. He does. And we learned this week too that it's also Peng Li Yuan's birthday. Who She's is? Xi Jinping's wife. Xi Jinping had forgotten about it. Remembering birthdays is hard. It's really hard. <laughs> I find it really hard. 
it's and when really you're busy. A, and then he wouldn't have Facebook to remind him of when people's <laughs> birthday. I mean, it is his wife, so perhaps you should note your own wife's birthday. Um, on Tuesday, Minister for Climate Change and Energy Chris Bowen addresses the Lowy Institute. You were interested in that one, Claire. Interested in that because we're heading into that part of November and December where the United Nations holds its big annual climate conference, the COP, uh, COP28 this year. It's in Dubai. Uh, it's on in a couple of weeks or so, so our shortcut next week will be on that to get you ahead of it. Yeah, it's out every Tuesday. Wednesday, Bruce Lehrman's defamation trial starts. This is the case he's brought against Lisa Wilkinson and Channel 10 when it aired that interview with Brittany Higgins way back when she first talked about her claims against him. He wasn't named, but he says he was defamed. Um, he was also going for News Corp and Samantha Maiden, um, if you remember, but um, they've settled that claim. Yeah, that was in the same case, but that News Corp part is gone. Gone, yeah. Friday is Black Friday, big shopping event. Anything you've got your eye on? No, because I've got a big birthday next year, so I have to save my money for that. Should I be saving up for that? Absolutely. But are we going somewhere? <laughs> sure, let's do it. <laughs> or should I be saving up for a big present? I'm not sure. There's going to be money spent on my birthday, whatever happens. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, so I won't be doing any shopping either. I'll be saving up for that. Claire, it's the final week of Sunbeam Foods and Angus Park recommending a recipe. It is. So just to recap so far, we've had Christmas bark, which is great for gifting, also an Aussie fruitcake and a pearl couscous salad. And, Kate, we're finishing up with a classic. A classic summer dessert. It's, of course, a pavlova. This one is interesting, apricot and thyme. It's a classic pav with a touch of tartness. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that sort of tart edge as well. Mm. Um, the apricots are used in a syrup. Then an added bonus of this recipe, it actually gives you use of all of those egg yolks that you use in the pavlova. Yep. Sure, you don't, you've got the white, so you need to do something with the yolks. Um, it's an apricot curd topped, of course, with some cream and a sprinkle of thyme. Yeah, I sometimes find pavlova a little bit sweet, so I'm definitely on board with this. I'll put a link to that recipe and all the recipes we've recommended across the past few weeks in your episode notes. Claire, dried fruits, also great for grazing boards. I just like eating them out of the packet. Okay, you can do that too. Yeah. Claire, you're tired. <laughs> for a very good reason. A very good do reason. Do we sound tired? We're tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's all the illegal drugs I'm taking to stay up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, she's my joking. My God. <laughs> um, tired because I went and saw Robbie Williams in concert. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. And so this was good. a last minute decision by you because you watched the Netflix documentary um, that's out. Is it, was it just come out? Yeah. Only a week ago. Only or a week so. ago. And you thought, yeah. and then you saw he was coming to Australia and you bought tickets. Because I went down that deep dive as you do after you watch these documentaries and went, oh, he's in Australia. So yeah, me and a couple of mates went and saw that, had a fabulous night. The doco's really great. So thoroughly recommend that. He obviously finished his set with Angels, but what did he open the set with? Let me entertain you. No, it actually was a song I didn't know. Oh, okay. Uh, I think off the new album, which is the one that he's kind of touring, oh, okay. but it was that sort of wandered down memory lane with all of the classics. All the it classics. was so good. Oh, yeah. that's so good. So that's a recommendation from us this week is to tune into that documentary. I had a look at that too and enjoyed it. Um, Evacuation on ABC TV. You can find that um, on iView. I haven't watched this one yet, so it's over to you. Take it away. Yeah, so it was made for Channel 4 
television in the UK. It's in three parts. The first part has aired and you'll find that on iview. Talk about compelling as well. Yeah. Just so good. It's the story about the British evacuation from Kabul after the fall to the Taliban in 2021. Um, it's told by the soldiers on that mission. They're the only people talking. It's right. incredible. Okay, so part one's out, two more parts to come. Yep. Um, as, as we said, ABC iview for that one. Um, I read a little bit about it because when you when you recommended it, the director said it's essentially a military thriller, but one that was very real. I spent Monday and Tuesday night watching Liberals in Power on Sky, which you teased me for. <laughs> I was only teasing you because I thought, wow, you and your Sky News. <laughs> oh, if you are interested in that whole period, um, but you know the the Turnbull Abbott Morrison period, it's a uh, a look at. The politics, not the policy, I and, would say. Yeah, and look, I can't wait to watch that at some point. I don't have Sky News, so I need to find a way to watch that over the next few weeks. I think I'll come over to your place and watch it, I think. You can, <laughs> I don't know if I need to watch it you again. You can go for part two. But it was interesting, yeah. The ABC have their version of Liberals in Power coming out too at some point. Oh, do so, they? Okay. Mm. Yeah, no, I found it. Chris Kenny hosted that. Um, It was a really good step through how that all went down over that time. And then I must confess, I spent... <laughs> Another part of my week watching The Buccaneers on Apple TV. It's Gossip Girl but set in the 19th century, Claire. <laughs> that was my promise of escapism. Look, you never give me a bum steer when it comes to TV. So if you say it's good. Oh, I don't know if it's good. It's No, it it's has good. a purpose. It has a purpose and that is to just tune out. Just en- be entertained. Okay. Um, so Sounds good. Yeah, we're there for that. Buccaneers. Um, there you go. All those recommendations <laughs> in your episode notes. <laughs> Squiz Press, we've compiled our Women and News Report 2.0, Claire. This is the second one. It's up on our website. A link is in our episode notes. The context is that last year we published a report about how women are consuming news and how they're feeling about the world and how they value news. This will be a follow-up to that to see how things may have shifted and changed over the last year and a few new insights also. So a bit of a tease on that, according to the survey that you all completed. So Mm. thank you so much for that. Um, We're not feeling great about the state of the world, probably for plenty of reasons that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, Um, but that the interesting thing, of course, for us, that you're very eager to be informed about it. Yeah, very much so. So this year, respondents tuning into the news to help form their views on certain things increased by 14%. The other thing I must call out is that brand values really matter to our audience. And that matters to brands because women are the main decision makers when it comes to household purchases. And that's absolutely what we found in this survey. So advertisers, come and advertise with us. (laughs) Very subtle, you know, little little, little prod. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Weekly Wrap. Of course, uh, leave us a review if you like this podcast on Apple. If you're listening on Spotify, there's a and a where it says, what did you enjoy about this episode? Feel free to leave us a note. We always dive into those and have a read and, and take your feedback. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week.